So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Usual Disclaimer with Eleanor Neal, a true crime podcast where we crack open some of the most notorious cases in history. Given the topics that we'll be investigating, it goes without saying that this show comes with a content warning. The details can get a bit heavy and you might find some of the themes we discuss triggering. Listener discretion is strongly advised and check the description for some resources and further information. One last thing before we get into the actual case, I just want to give my usual disclaimer that I mean absolutely no disrespect to anyone that I talk about in this video. Everything that I'm about to say is publicly available information that myself and my team have found and compiled into one video. This video will cover especially sensitive topics including, but not limited to, drug abuse, sexual assault and mental illnesses including bipolar disorder and psychosis. And while we make every effort to fact check our source and make sure that all of our information is correct, no action should be taken in reliance upon the information in this video. And I also want to take this opportunity to remind you that these are real people's lives that we're talking about, so please keep the comment section kind and respectful. All opinions in this video are mine and mine alone, and with all of that being said, Let's get into the case. So today's case takes place in Los Angeles, California in 2002. The home of the rich and famous, full of celebrities everywhere you go, or at least people trying to be celebrities. No shade, but one of those people is at the center of our case today. 25 year old aspiring rapper, Antron Singleton, better known by his stage name, Big Lurch. Big Lurch was originally from Dallas, Texas, but had moved to California with big dreams, hoping to make his rap career work. And things were looking pretty promising. He had a record label, he had a bunch of connections in the industry, he even had an album. A prevalent theme in his music was his tough upbringing, how he'd come from nothing and he was gonna make something of himself. Which is ironic, considering the thing that he's most famous for now is not his music, but the fact that he is a cannibal murderer. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, let's go back and look at that rough upbringing that he talked about all the time in his music. Although he rarely shared like specifics and details of it, we do know some bits and pieces. He was born on September 15th, 1976 to Alfonso and Patricia Singleton. Unfortunately, they divorced within a year of his birth, but he did manage to stay close with both parents as he grew up. From a very, very early age, Antron was already using words and more specifically poetry to express himself and his feelings. This started when he was seven years old. He would be writing poetry in his little notebooks and as he got older this poetry turned into lyrics for songs. By the time he was 15 years old Antron had already written a bunch of songs. He would rap them for his friends, he would do like open mic nights and even test these songs out like on stages. I mean not like huge shows, but just 
for other people that are interested in rap music. It was very empowering for him and all of his friends who also wrote rap lyrics to be able to talk about the darker, harder parts of their lives. It was empowering, but it was equally as vulnerable to put yourself out there and to put all your feelings right out there for people to criticize. But he did it and he, he loved it. He loved everything about music, being able to tell a story through lyrics, being able to tell his story through lyrics. It was therapeutic, it was cathartic. Most importantly, it was fun. He had a whole lot of fun doing it. So much so that he knew he wanted to do this forever. He wanted to make this his job. He didn't want to give up making music when he was all grown up and, you know, just get a job and a life and a, and a family and whatever. He wanted to make rapping work. In 1995, when Antron was about 18, 19 years old, he actually had a son, a little boy that he named Antron Singleton Jr., which is quite unfortunate in the aftermath of this case to be named after a cannibal murderer. But regardless, Antron adored his son. And honestly, his son seemed to have adored him as well. A lot of the pictures of the two of them online are really sweet. He's like looking up at his dad in admiration and it, it's really nice. Antron was still living in Texas at this point. He had his son over in Texas and everything. And he was still doing his music and he was putting it out there. He was working really, really hard. And he wasn't seeing much for it. Like nothing was really happening. His music wasn't taking off. People weren't discovering him. He just felt a bit stalled. And Antron actually put this down to his location, being in Texas. He didn't have many connections. He didn't have many opportunities there. All the big dogs in the industry were settled in California. He either needed to be in like, Hollywood kind of LA, or he needed to be in the Bay Area. That was where a lot of rap music went down in the 90s and 2000s, was in the San Francisco Bay Area. That's where all the people were. That's where all the artists were, all the industry professionals, all the best studios and all the best opportunities were in the Bay Area. And honestly, in an industry like that one, connections mean more to your career than actual talent or hard work. So that was it. Antron had decided what he needed to do. He was ready to make some big moves, literally. And he went and moved to San Francisco. To coincide with this new chapter in his life and in his career, Big Lurch, or as he was known at the time, G Spade, decided to change his stage name. I don't actually know where G Spade came from. I don't know the origins of that, but he decided it was time for a change and his friends had been calling him Lurch for a little while. It actually comes from the Adams family. They have this big, I, I mean, I've never seen the Adams family, but I bet a lot of you have and I bet that's quite offensive that I haven't seen it, but there's this like big, tall, creepy, Butler, I think he is, called Lurch in the Adams Family. And Antron Singleton was very flippin' tall. He was nearing six foot seven, right? He stood a whole head above everyone else in every room that he was ever in. He was Lurch. His friends had just been calling him it as a nickname for a while at this point, and he thought, you know what? That's a cool stage name. It's very in keeping with his branding of being very tall. So yeah. With that, Big Lurch was born. And now he was out there in the Bay Area trying to make it as a rapper alongside thousands of other men in that exact same position. Aspiring rappers that had left their home state and moved to California. And they were all in the same game. They were all trying to get discovered. 
which I imagine can be comforting and also quite daunting at the same time. Because let's be real, there's competition all around you. You're a small fish in a very big pond. You need to be one of the best of all those thousands of aspiring rappers, otherwise you're not gonna get discovered. But also at the same time, that competition can also be your friend. It can also be the connections that you need to move up in the industry. It can be really useful to network. The studio that Lurch would frequent the most was called Slop Shop Studios. It's like a tongue twister, Slop Shop Studios. And the clientele of this studio was quite a mixed bag. So there were quite a few people like Lurch himself who were kind of nobodies. I don't mean that like shady, but you know, they, they weren't anyone in the industry. They were just passionate about music and they would work there and record there and write there and make friends there, but not really see much from it. So there were the people like that and then there were the people like Tupac and E-40 and these big, massive rap stars that would come to Slop Shop Studios to record their albums. So it was a really, really good place for him to be. He could work on his own craft and also make connections and network with these big dogs in the industry. And actually Lurch ended up helping out a lot of these big artists with their own projects and he would collaborate with them, help with production. He would even record bits and pieces with them for different songs. He was on one of the games songs, one of E-40's songs. In fact, Antron can be spotted in a two-pack documentary right where Tupac went down to Slop Shop Studios he was doing some recording and in the background there's obviously just like loads of men loads of different people working <laughs> and you can see Lurch big lurching over the top of everyone like I said he was a whole head taller than most people so Lurch was finding a decent level of success within the industry but not so much with his own music like he was making these connections he was helping out on other people's projects but his own art wasn't People weren't gelling with it, not gonna lie. He was part of a very niche subgenre of rap music called horrorcore. And you can probably guess from the name what horrorcore consists of. The lyrics and the themes in this kind of music are usually scary ones like murder, serial killers, cannibalism, kidnapping, anything scary. It's a subgenre in all kinds of music. It's not just a rap thing, um, but it is quite popular in rap with even people like Eminem, you know, like some of his earlier stuff can be considered horrorcore. Songs like Kim, where he's literally kidnapping the mother of his child and like putting her in the back of the car. That whole song is just like a story of that. I don't know why I used to be kind of into horrorcore, not gonna lie guys. I, the song um, A Little Piece of Heaven by Avenged Sevenfold seriously scarred me at the age of 13. And since then I do kind of like horrorcore. It's a really interesting genre, I will say, because people can get very creative with it. Artists tend to tell a whole story throughout a song from start to finish and it's just, so interesting. It's literally like, kind of like one of these videos, but over the top of a beat. People that are into horrorcore are like really into it and they think it's cool and it's an interesting form of art. Whereas people that aren't into horrorcore are really not into horrorcore. Like, I, and you can imagine if it's not for you listening to 
people telling stories of murder. Totally understand that. But I feel like this was Big Lurch's problem when it came to making music because he was quite talented. I'll, I'll be honest, like I've listened to some of his songs in preparation for this video and I think he's a good rapper. But maybe it was the content of his songs that were off-putting to the majority. People don't tend to want to sit and listen to graphic, violent depictions of cannibalism over the top of a trap beat. I think maybe if he had more mainstream themes in his music, like getting money, fucking bitches. I'm sorry, that was actually misogynistic. I'm sorry, but you know. <laughs> but I think Lurch realized this too. I think he realized that his music could be a lot more palatable. And if it was, it could be a lot more successful. So it was around this time where he actually made a bit of a rap pack with two friends that he met at Slop Shop Studios. The other two men were in the exact same position as Big Lurch, up and coming rappers, although they weren't as in the horrorcore uh, subgenre as he was. And I think that's why he gravitated towards these two men to make a project with them because they could bring something to his music that he didn't already have, you know? Their names were Rick Rock and Dooney Baby. And together they made the group Cosmic Slop Shop. In their downtime at Slop Shop Studios when they weren't helping out Tupac and E40, the three of them would just sit together in the studio and write and throw things at each other and see what stuck. And over time, because this wasn't like a very serious project for them. Obviously they had other things that they were working on, solo music and their just general work. So it took them quite a while, but over the course of two years, the men had written and produced enough music to throw together into a full album. This album was named The Family and it was released in 1998. It was the first and only piece of work that Cosmic Slop Shop ever made. All three of them had hoped that releasing this album could help to kickstart their careers, you know, put them on the map, get people listening to their solo music that already existed and then get some fire under that. But not gonna lie, it kind of did the opposite. Well, maybe not the opposite, but it it certainly didn't kickstart their careers. The album wasn't greatly received. It was received all right within the very underground rap community. There were a few songs on the album that did small numbers, but in general, it was just kind of a flop. Sorry to say it. After this, the men decided to go their separate ways and continue making solo music. Actually, I think the other two made something without Antron a little bit later on, but from this point on, Antron was a solo artist. He wasn't gonna waste time doing something that wasn't his own passion project anymore. But in the year 2000, Antron received some heartbreaking news that his grandmother had passed away back in Texas and a funeral was gonna be held back over there. So he was gonna put his life on hold for a little bit to go back home, spend some time with family, pay respects to his grandmother. It was only intended to be a short trip, but while Antron was out there, Something happened that changed his life, almost ended his life. While he was driving, Antron was hit by a drunk driver and he almost died. His neck broke, he was paralyzed from the neck down temporarily. He spent the next two months in a hospital bed in Texas, pumped full of morphine and just drifting in and out of consciousness, being monitored by medical staff. They would do regular physiotherapy sessions with him once he was ready to try and 
get his body moving again, get him walking again. And things were seemingly on the up for Antron. He was gonna be able to walk again. He was gonna have full control of his body again. He was still in a lot of pain, like a lot of pain, but things could get better, which was great. But then after two months in hospital, Antron's insurance company stopped paying completely, stopped paying for anything. Now, I don't know much about the American healthcare system. Um, all I know is that it's really shit and evil, but I don't really know how this works. I don't know if an insurance company can just go, enough now, good luck. I don't know if something happened. I don't know. I really don't know. But all we know is his insurance stopped paying and Antron himself couldn't afford any of it. He couldn't afford to keep himself in hospital. He couldn't afford his physiotherapy. He couldn't even afford medication. So he was essentially kicked out of hospital. He didn't have any more medication. He had been pumped full of morphine for two months and now he was going cold turkey. So not only would he be in immense amounts of pain as all of that medication left his system and he was just now like raw dogging his injuries, he was also now, because he was forced to go cold turkey, experiencing withdrawals from morphine. It was a bad time for Big Lurch and he was in a very desperate state. So much so that he turned to one of his friends that he knew would have a less than legal solution to his problems. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This friend was named Derek. He was a wheelchair user that experienced a lot of chronic pain all throughout his body. He was in a constant state of terrible, terrible pain. But Derek had found a way to self-medicate to deal with that pain through using PCP. Now, if you don't know what PCP is, because I didn't really, I don't think this is as much of a thing in the UK as it is in America. So PCP lesson for you all. PCP, also known as angel dust or sherm, is a synthetic drug, obviously illegal. It was originally invented because it's a synthetic drug. It was made for use as an anesthetic because it has like numbing qualities and things like that. And it was used in medical context for a little while, but it was eventually banned, banned because of the terrible side effects. So it's been discontinued for any kind of use. So there is absolutely no legal way to take PCP as far as I'm aware, but people do like to take it as a recreational drug. So they will find ways to source it illegally and still consume it. Very often people will dip cigarettes into the PCP liquid and then smoke that. That's called smoke and sherm. I had heard of smoke and sherm before this, but I always thought sherm was like its own drug, but no, PCP. So why do people consume PCP? Well, it does have a few like 
high effects. It gives the user a sense of euphoria, a sense of invincibility, increased energy, but the negative side effects can be really, really bad, intensely bad. They include things like hallucinations and delusions, paranoia, severe bad moods, dissociation, and even psychosis, complete psychosis. You hear some absolute horror stories of what people have done while they've been on PCP, this video being one of them, because it's known on occasion to put people into terrifying frames of mind due to these hallucinations, the paranoia, the delusions, they will begin to truly, truly believe something and act accordingly. PCP is also known to make users violent and aggressive, which when paired with delusions and paranoia and hallucinations, that can be terrifying because they will act on those false delusions that they're having with this very real violence and anger. But despite such severe and serious side effects, people do continue to seek out and consume this drug either for the recreational euphoric high and increased energy or because it was originally developed as an anesthetic, people will seek out this drug for like pain management. Just like Derek, Big Lurch's friend, and now Big Lurch, who has gone to Derek and said, hey, where do you get that PCP from? Antron had taken PCP a few times in the past, literally two or three times were his exact words. So he hadn't done it that much. And the experiences that he had had were really bad. He had terrible experiences to the point where he actually swore off the stuff. The only reason he went back to it at this point was because of the chronic pain, but Lurch knew what PCP did to his brain. It did not sit well in his chemistry. He'd actually been hospitalized for severe mental health issues when he'd done PCP before in the past. It really, really messed with his brain. Truly, like it messed with the things that he believed, the delusions, he was having religious delusions the first time he did it. So he knew just how dangerous this substance was for him personally, for his brain. He knew what it could do to him. But at this point, he felt like he had no other option. The pain, the physical pain that he was in after being discharged from hospital and going cold turkey on morphine, that pain was unbearable and PCP, was his only solution in his eyes. So Derek hooked him up with his PCP dealer and Antron began taking it, smoking it usually, every single day. And very quickly, he was dependent on it. In the aftermath of the accident and as Big Lurch was trying his best to recover from home, he was receiving quite a bit of attention in the rap scene. Cause obviously it was kind of big news in the Bay Area that this small rapper that people knew here and there, you know, Tupac had worked with him. So he was known a little bit around the Bay Area. And obviously as soon as he got into this car crash that left him paralyzed and broke his neck, everyone was talking about it. And everyone was listening to his music and being like, you know what, this guy's kind of good. And of course, record labels were very interested in this sudden attention around Big Lurch. And a bunch of them began reaching out to him and offering different ways that they could help him through his recovery. Just a lot of people putting out feelers to, to start a relationship, like a working networking relationship with Big Lurch. He was getting a lot of emails around this time. One of which was from a record label called Stress Free Records that had 
A very interesting offer for Big Lurch. They wanted to fly him back out to California. They were gonna pay for everything. They were gonna put him in meetings with these big execs because they wanted to give him a record deal. They promised collaborations for him with other big artists on their label. He could have features. He could be in the studio with these big artists and learn from them. It was everything that Antron had wanted for his career. And on top of that, they'd also promised to nurse him back to health, whatever that means, uh, from a record label. But I guess that just means they were gonna show him some support throughout his recovery. Of course, Antron said yes to this deal. He said yes to being flown out to California. He went to go and meet with these execs. He jumped at the chance. But as soon as he got out there, he realized that this deal wasn't gonna work. For some background information, Antron Singleton was part of a gang. He was in the Bloods. The Bloods and the Crips are two notorious gangs that are notoriously against each other. Antron was a Blood and most of the people at his new record label, including the owner, were Crips. So you can imagine how studio sessions felt. There was a lot of tension surrounding Antron joining their team, their working team. We have no idea how serious or bad these tensions got. I really don't know what came out of it, but we know that it was so bad that Antron decided that he couldn't go through with this. He was gonna back out of the deal and move back to Texas. So now Antron is back in Dallas. His dreams have just been crushed by this offer of a lifetime that was pulled out from underneath him. And he was also still recovering from the accident. So he needed to make some money easily and quickly and he couldn't go back to work. And that was when Antron started selling drugs. And very quickly after he started, he was caught by the police and he was put on trial for selling drugs. Of course, he couldn't afford the legal help. He was just caught in this really vicious cycle of getting into more trouble that meant he owed more money, but then, you know, trying to make money and then getting into more trouble and stress-free records that had just flown him out to California and it hadn't worked out. They knew that he had just been caught by the police for selling drugs. And so they reached out to him and they were like, look, we can see that you're in a bit of a predicament right now and we have an offer. We can help you with legal fees. We can send out an attorney and whatever. Just come back and work with us. And so he was like, you know what? Okay. Antron was not in a place to be able to turn this down. He needed legal help. So he accepted it. So Stress Free Records sent out a lawyer to go and help Antron. But this lawyer also happened to be the owner of the record label. His name was Milton Grimes and he he was actually a qualified lawyer. I make it sound like they just sent out some guy. He was a qualified lawyer and actually a pretty good one. Over 10 years before this case, Milton Grimes had represented Rodney King in court, who was a victim of police brutality. And he'd represented his case really, really well. And so Antron, was feeling hopeful about this. Milton Grimes seemed like a pretty good lawyer. He flew out to Texas and he actually managed to get all of Antron's charges resolved, which meant that now Big Lurch was kind of in debt to stress-free records. He felt obligated to go back and work with them again. Even though, you know, their personal values didn't quite align, personal values, they were in gangs. Can you call that a person's values. And also, according to Antron, he says that his label, Stress Free Records, was actively pushing him 
to do PCP and to sell drugs and to be involved in this in this very like violent crimey kind of life because they wanted to target him and his music as like a gangster rapper you know someone who's who's really about what they rap about and you know all you know they wanted to make him look hard and tough and scary and so he says they supported his criminal activity whether that was doing drugs selling drugs literally anything else that he wanted to do because they wanted to consolidate this gangster image. He said that he was practically fed PCP by his record label. They very much enabled and encouraged his destructive habits and addictions. And you do hear this accusation quite often against record labels. Artists saying that their record labels were helping them find drugs, helping them locate them, going out and picking them up for them while they're on tour, you know, that kind of thing. You hear it quite a bit, along with the accusation that labels are doing this, facilitating this drug use in order to make those artists more dopey, you know, more more easy to control. If they're high on drugs 24-7, they're going to be easier to manipulate, easier to pull the wool over their eyes, really. They can take advantage of these artists. And so, yeah, a lot of artists do accuse their labels of this. Of course, Antron being one. He said his label knew why he was taking PCP. It was for his, you know, pain. But then after a while, he became addicted. And his specific accusation against the record label is that they were just feeding him it and feeding him it while he was in the studio doing his album. And he says that they essentially created this addiction inside him, this addiction that led to this case. So that's the situation that he's in post-recovery. Uh, Stress-free records have managed to persuade him to work with them again, and he's back in San Francisco Bay. He's very much addicted to PCP. It's a problem in his life that he says his record label just perpetuates. And now that he was back working on his solo music, he was actually working on like a debut album, solo album, and his music was very much going back horrorcore. That was his thing. That was what he felt good at. So the music that he was working on at this point in time was all murderers, serial killers, blood and violence. He wrote a song called I Did It To You where he references a bunch of serial killers, both fictional and non-fictional, and then he implies that he is worse than all of them. The exact lyric is Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson, and all your friends. I'm Finster Scullia, cause murder's a hobby. A hobby? There's also a bunch of references to just various gory and gruesome things like mutilating bodies and cannibalism and torture. He says things like, I'm a vampire, fresh meat, I can't pass it. So if you wake up in a puddle of blood, I did it to you. And another one, walking down the street with a syringe, injecting fools with battery acid. And while, of course, lyrics can exist as fictional content, it is just art at the end of the day and people can tell stories through music that it doesn't have to be autobiographical. Everything that every writer has ever written is not necessarily about themselves and about their actual thoughts and feelings. And I always find it a bit daft when song lyrics and stuff are used in court against people because people play characters for songs and they write about 
crazy shit. But what I think is very interesting in this case is that these thoughts and stuff that he was putting in his songs, they went from being fictional to very true. As he was writing his debut album, Antron was living with his friend Thomas Moore, who was a drug dealer. He'd met him <laughs> through drugs, obviously. That was his dealer. Um, and he ended up living with him somehow. I don't know how that comes about. How do you end up living with your dealer? Anyway, and this apartment had all the hallmarks of a dope house. Like, that, they called it the dope house, by the way. That's not me giving it a name. It was a dope house in every sense of the word, the two words. There were guns and other weapons just littering the whole apartment, just laying out on the side, loaded guns. There were drugs everywhere, shady people coming in and out. Certainly not the type of environment you would want to raise a child in. Surely, no one was raising kids in this house, right? Oh, but they were. Thomas Moore had two kids with his girlfriend and they lived there. Both of the children were only a few years old and luckily they weren't in the house at the time that all of this case like happened. I just wanna let you know that right now. Cause it really scared me when I first read that two children were involved in this house, but they weren't there on this specific day. And I would think that they have been put into proper care now following on from this case. Just wanted to let you know in the beginning. The children's mother, Thomas's girlfriend, was a 21 year old woman named Tynesha Assayas. And I believe she was a stay at home mother. Tynesha and Antron did not get on. Well, I mean, like they got on on a very surface level. If they had to be in a room and be with other people, they got on. But on a deeper level, Tynesha did not want Antron living there in their house, which I kind of get her. Like, girl, I, I see it. She is living with her man. They have two children together. And then all of a sudden, this man is part of your family home. This man that you don't know. This man that your boyfriend sells drugs to has just moved in. I don't know, she didn't want him there. She didn't want him in her family home and I get that, I totally do. But that was Antron's living situation. He was essentially like this family's pet. On the evening of April 9th, 2002, Antron was hanging out at the dope house with a few people from his label and his two roommates, Thomas and Tynesha. Like I said, the kids weren't home that particular evening and this party session went on all the way through the night and into the next morning. I don't know where the children were staying that night, but they were staying somewhere else and they were taken to school the next morning by someone else. So they're completely away from all of this. Again, just wanted to reassure you. But all of the adults are sitting there in this apartment, passing around PCP dipped cigarettes, smoking sherm. And Antron remembered these being like seriously strong shit. And he'd been smoking PCP, consuming PCP for a while at this point. Well, for a little while anyway. And these dipped cigarettes were the strongest shit he had had this whole time. And he remembered being sat there and feeling like really fucked up on it, but he just kind of kept going because everyone else kept going and he didn't want to be the one to, to like, you know. But he remembered as it was like hitting him that this was the most fucked up he had ever been on PCP. Eventually everyone left the apartment in the early hours of the morning, leaving just the three people that lived there, Antron, Thomas and Tanisha. I believe the three of them just kind of stayed up talking. It was the early hours of the morning and within a few hours, another man arrives at the apartment. 
It was Derek. Do you remember the guy that Antron went to when he decided he wanted to use PCP? This friend used it to deal with his chronic pain and it worked for him. He was still using PCP very often and Thomas was his dealer. So Derek arrived at the apartment at like 9am. He arrived downstairs in the apartment and this building didn't have a lift. It wasn't accessible for Derek and he was a wheelchair user. So every time he would come to buy drugs, he would like give one of them a call, either Thomas or Antron and say, look, I'm here, can someone come help me? So on this particular day, Antron went downstairs to help Derek up, he carried the wheelchair up, and then they all just kind of sat in the apartment, continuing to smoke PCP, listening to music, just chilling. Derek remembered when he first got into the apartment that day that it smelled strongly of PCP, like super strong shit. And Antron himself seemed really sluggish and spaced out. Thomas didn't seem as bad. He was more coherent and apparently so was Tynesha. And yeah, like I said, they were all just kind of sat there listening to music, talking, and then all of a sudden Thomas gets up and goes to leave. He told Derek to keep an eye on Antron and Tynesha and then just walked out. He didn't say where he was going. He didn't say when he would be back. He just left, left Derek to essentially look after these two people that have been on PCP for about 12 hours at this point, and very, very strong PCP. Derek said that nothing really happened when Thomas left. I mean, he was fine to stay there with his two friends and carry on smoking PCP, so that's what they did. They carried on talking, carried on listening to music, everything was fine. That was until Tanisha got up to go to the bathroom. And that was when the whole mood in the room changed. Once Tanisha had closed the door, Antron turned to Derek and said, I'm gonna go get me some pussy. And then he stood up and followed her to the bathroom. Derek remembered feeling very out of his depth in this situation because he knew that Tanisha had a boyfriend and they were in his house. But now his roommate is gonna go try and sleep with his girlfriend in the bathroom. Derek didn't really know the dynamics of Tynesha and Thomas's relationship enough to make a call on this. Like he didn't know if Antron was allowed to sleep with Thomas's girlfriend. Maybe that was some sort of, like maybe they had a bit of a thing going on, I don't know. All Derek knew was that this was a situation that he did not want to get involved in. He did not want to be blamed for anything or, you know, he just didn't want to lay witness to some level of infidelity is what he thought was gonna happen. So when Antron got up and followed Tynesha to the bathroom, Derek just left. He just got out of the apartment and got one of their neighbors to help him down the stairs instead. He, he just wanted out. Apparently, as Derek left the apartment, he heard Tynesha screaming at Antron to stop, but Derek didn't do anything. He didn't turn around, he didn't say anything, he didn't even mention it to anyone else, he didn't call the police, he didn't, absolutely nothing. He heard this woman screaming and begging someone to stop and he just left. He just continued on with his day, which is just horrid. I, I don't like Derek, not gonna lie. Like, I think people like this that think it's not their place to get involved, even though they know that someone is actively suffering or is in danger or is screaming stop, people that are still like, nah, nah, not my place. That is revolting. How can you, as a man, hear a woman being left alone with another man who is very fucking high, screaming at him to stop. How can you just go on your merry way? You can fill in the blanks in your head what was going on in that apartment. How can you live with yourself? 
just pretending like that's not happening. And now I'm not saying that he needs to get like hands-on involved and like break into the bathroom and physically stop it or whatever, but you can call the police, you can tell neighbors, you can call up her boyfriend maybe. You could do literally anything else other than leave silently, you coward. But yeah, anyway, Derek leaves and doesn't say a word to anyone. That is, until later on in the day, he bumps into one of Tynesha's friends, a girl named Alyssa. He told Alyssa vaguely about the morning that they'd had. They were all sat there smoking PCP, da da da, they were all talking. And then he told Alyssa about the part where Antron followed her in the bathroom to go have sex with her, presumably and he heard Tynesha screaming stop, and so he left. Alyssa was horrified hearing this, as anyone would be, and so she dropped everything and did what Derek should have done in the first place, and she rushed straight to Tynesha's apartment to see if she was okay. As she was coming up on Tynesha's apartment, Alyssa had a very strange encounter in the street. She saw a man walking around, just wandering, kind of in a daze, staring up at the sky. And this man was covered in blood. I forgot to mention, he was also completely naked. Naked, covered in blood, staring around in a daze. She was freaked out. She called the police and reported this man and they told her to keep her distance, to not approach him, don't try and talk to him, don't try and communicate, and they would be there as soon as they could to deal with this. So Alyssa didn't stick around, she had faith that the police could sort this, and so she continued on her way to go and check on her friend. When she arrived, Alyssa ran up the stairs to the apartment, and even at this point, she knew that something was seriously wrong. All up the stairs, there'd been odd little smears of what looked like blood, and now that she'd gotten to the actual apartment door, there was one great big smear of blood right on the front of it. She was terrified of what she might find inside that apartment, but very bravely, Alyssa took a deep breath and went inside. By this point, neighbors had also called the police and they were arriving in multiple cop cars outside the apartment building as Alyssa was standing there inside the actual apartment taking in the most gruesome crime scene you could imagine. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh, oh. Auto Parts. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. On the floor of the bedroom lay her friend, 21-year-old Tynesha Asaias, completely naked, and brutally murdered in her own home. Meanwhile, the man that was wandering the streets naked and covered in blood had been recovered by police at this point, and I'm sure you guessed exactly who that was. 
It was Antron Singleton. Tynesha's body was beyond mutilated when they found her. It was clear that she had gone through absolute hell, both before and after her death. Antron had done absolutely unspeakable things to this woman. This is one of the worst crime scenes I've ever come across. And you guys know how many of these videos I've made. The first thing that anyone noticed when looking at Tanisha's body was a huge gaping wound from her chest all the way down her abdomen. She was pretty much opened up. All of her innards could be seen. Some of them had even been pulled out, intestines, lungs. There was a knife, well, the blade of a knife still stuck in her shoulder blade as if he'd been stabbing her and then it had gotten stuck in her bone and then it had broken as he was trying to pull it out again. It was clear that at that point, Antron had given up with the weapon and then continued to use his bare hands as a weapon on this girl. He'd reached into Tynesha's body through this giant wound that he had just made. He ripped her open and then started ripping out her insides. He pulled out her whole right lung. One of her intestines was also found half out of her body. But the most gruesome part of all of this is that those parts of her body that he had removed had teeth marks in them. Antron Singleton had chewed on and potentially eaten parts of Tynesha's dead body, her organs. And all of that is just what was immediately visible, you know, looking at her body. That's what you can tell she had been through, but there was so much more that was revealed in her autopsy. It seemed that Antron had been brutally beating Tynesha throughout this whole attack. It's honestly heartbreaking reading this never-ending list of injuries that she sustained, and I'm gonna read you a lot of them now. Tynesha's neck was broken, multiple bones in her face were broken, she was missing teeth, her brain was very swollen from being hit in the head. She had cuts and stab wounds all over her body and emphasis on cuts rather than stab wounds because it did seem that a lot of them were relatively superficial, like they were just done to mutilate her, to, to hurt her, to make her bleed, but not to kill her, just to prolong this this torture. And a lot of these were on her face. Apparently a lot of the attack had been concentrated to her face for some reason. In fact, one of her cheeks was just a complete mess. And when it was analyzed, it was concluded that this was a result of him chewing on her face. And there was even flesh missing. So they believed that he had successfully chewed off and eaten a piece of her face. And I think it makes it all the more disturbing to me that he directly chewed it from her face. More often than not with cannibalism, it's a case of them like chopping up the body and then going on to like cook the meat or whatever. But there's something so horrifying about someone killing someone and then just putting their mouth straight on them to eat them. It's so, there's something very animalistic about that and it freaks me out. But I think the saddest conclusion to have come from her autopsy was that Tynesha was alive for a lot of this attack. It's believed that the giant wound to her front was like the last thing that Antron did. But it seemed that there was prolonged torture before 
he finally killed her. They know this because there was self-defense wounds all over her, all over her hands and her arms as if she was trying to push him off. Now I am unsure if there was ever a conclusion to the sexual assault aspect of this case, because obviously remember the way that Antron approached Tynesha that night. She went into the bathroom, he turned to someone and said, I'm gonna go get me some pussy. And then all of a sudden she's screaming at him to stop. I mean, anyone's mind can fill in the blanks and that's absolutely heartbreaking. But it's unclear if that actually went ahead or if this whole like violent, torturous altercation happened straight away or maybe as a result of her you know, fighting off his advances. Either way, this is genuinely one of the most horrific cases I've ever heard of. I just can't imagine being in your own home with your boyfriend's friend and all of a sudden he turns on you like that. And in such a demonic way as well. Like I can't even think of any other way to describe Antron's actions that night other than pure evil, ripping a lung from her body, like physically using your hands to rip open this hole in another person's torso. It's one of the most grim things I've ever heard and chewing on the flesh directly from her cheek. Thank God Antron was caught by police very soon after leaving the apartment. Well, we assume it was soon after leaving the apartment. Cause who knows what he could have gone on to do that day. In, in the state that he was in, he could have done absolutely anything. There could have been so many more deaths. When police officers found him naked, wandering the streets, covered in blood, they approached him and managed to apprehend him very easily, actually, which I was quite surprised to hear. Apparently he just laid down on the floor for them and let them cuff his hands behind his back. And it was at this point that they realized not only was Antron covered in blood, but he also had a meaty substance caught in his facial hair. Antron was like growling and groaning to himself. He was apparently barking like a dog, but they seemed to think that he was listening when they spoke to him. They thought that he was comprehending you know, them arresting him. They were explaining to him why he was being arrested and he seemed to be listening and understanding. When they got him back to the police station, they explained to him that they believed he had murdered Tynesha and cannibalized her and explained all the details to him. And he responded, oh Jesus, God, did I kill her? Oh God, did I kill her? According to Antron, he doesn't remember any of it. He says that his last memory of that night was getting to the apartment with Thomas, Tynesha, the people from his label, and sitting and smoking these PCP dipped cigarettes. And he says from that moment, everything blacks out and he wakes up two weeks later in police custody being told that he is a murderer and a cannibal. He says he has absolutely no memory of what triggered him that night or he has no memory of actually doing anything to Tynesha. So even though Antron claims he doesn't have any memory of being apprehended or like his first few police interviews, luckily uh, they were all recorded. So let's run through all of that from the moment of his arrest. The first thing they did was actually take him to hospital before they took him to the police station. Cause obviously he was covered in blood and they needed to know if any of it was his own. When tests were done on all the blood, uh, most of it was found to belong to someone else. I believe little bits of it were his own. But an even more horrifying discovery was yet to be made because I want you all to bear in mind right now that the police that recovered Antron Singleton from the street covered in blood were not the same police that 
were at Tynesha's apartment dealing with the crime scene. They were not linked. This was going on simultaneously at the same time. So these police officers have just found a guy covered in blood. They've taken him to the hospital thinking he could be injured. And now they've just found out, oh God, this blood seems to be someone else's. Now imagine their surprise when doctors turn around to them and say, not only did we find someone else's blood all over him, but that meaty substance that we found in his beard, that's human flesh. And not only that, they also had pumped his stomach, I believe, at this point, and they had found pieces of human flesh digesting in his stomach. So that was the proof that Antron had successfully eaten parts of Tynesha's body. He hadn't just chewed on them or whatever, he had swallowed, he had cannibalized her. Cannibalized her. I think he was kept in hospital for a little while, because, well, I mean, he'd ingested human flesh. Maybe there's like, there has to be some sort of like health concerns there or something, I don't know. He was in hospital for a little while and then when he was discharged from there, he was taken to some sort of police holding, but it was like a psychiatric, basically he was thrown in one of those big padded rooms. And he says the next thing he remembers, he so he'd gone from smoking PCP cigarettes in the apartment with his friends, and then the next thing he remembers, he's waking up in this padded room, there's a voice coming over the speakers saying that his lawyer is here to meet him. And just, ima just imagine, just imagine waking up and, and that. As he was escorted out of the room that he was in, that padded room, I don't know what them padded rooms are called. As he was being escorted out of that and to the meeting with his lawyer, the guards that were waiting outside his room laughed at him and called him a cannibal motherfucker. When Antron was pulled into this room, imagine his surprise when the lawyer sitting at the table was none other than Milton Grimes from Stress Free Records. He's everywhere. Grimes, along with the police, then sat there in this room with Antron. Now that he was sober and coherent and could understand and comprehend what was being told to him, they sat there and they told him the whole story in detail of what he had done to Tynesha. And Antron just couldn't believe his ears. Like, literally, he did not believe what they were saying to him. He said he couldn't have killed Tynesha because he had no reason to. He said that he didn't even know her name. He didn't even know that she was called Tynesha. He just knew her as her nickname, Pocahontas. That was what everyone called her. And he was like, if I didn't even know her name, then how could I have known her well enough to do this to her? Because the police and, well, everyone that's, like, looked at this case says that this murder was very hate-filled. Now, I don't quite know about that. I think if PCP wasn't involved, then yes, we would think this was very hate-filled. But once you hear that this person was absolutely off his face on a drug that makes you act completely inhuman, maybe, it, maybe there was an anger behind it. Maybe there was major delusion. But yeah, because everyone had always said like, oh, there was anger behind this. He was like, well, I didn't really know her, so I couldn't have been angry at her. So like, like he just didn't feel like he had any, anything in him that would want to do this to Tynesha. But I mean, physical evidence is physical evidence, man. Her, her flesh was in your stomach. So like, what, what are they gonna do now? Milton Grimes felt like the only thing that they could do was plead insanity and hope that Antron would get a lesser sentence and that he could be freed within like 10 years and then he'd, he could be back to music. He could be back making them sweet money on the record deal. Antron agreed with Milton Grimes that they should go for the insanity plea. But I, 
I don't understand why. Like, it shot, like, you weren't insane though. You were on a drug. I don't know how you could plead insanity when you very willingly took a drug that you know alters your mind to the point where you've previously been hospitalized. He was having religious delusions once before and got put in hospital. You know what this drug does to you. It's not insanity. It's not your, your brain chemicals. It's not how you were born. It's not an illness. It's not a disorder. It is you smoking a cigarette that has a substance all over it that you know gives you insane delusions. And because this confused me so much, I did a little bit of research for this video. So, in California, drug intoxication and the effects of it can't be used to plead not guilty by reason of insanity unless there's another factor involved, like existing mental illness. The only way he would be able to pull off an insanity plea in, in this case is by saying, yeah, I was majorly mentally unwell before I even smoked the PCP and then the PCP just kind of like uh, reacted with existing mental illness and then it wasn't his fault. So that's what they were gonna try and prove here. And one of their biggest pieces of evidence that he was mentally unwell before this night was his previous hospitalization from the last time he smoked PCP. Because it was decided that when he was in hospital, he was in a psychotic episode. From that other time when he was having delusions, he thought that people were trying to kill him and stuff. And then once the drugs like wore out of his system, the delusions stopped. So yes, he was in a psychotic episode, but it was a drug-induced one. But they were gonna conveniently forget about the drug-induced part and just focus on, he had a psychotic episode. And I don't know how they thought this was gonna be successful because PCP is the, the main factor in both of these cases where he has had a psychotic episode, he's done PCP before. Like, it, it's PCP, it's not his brain. It's not just his brain being predisposed to having psychotic episodes, it's him willingly taking this drug. They were also gonna use as part of their argument that Antron did actually have a bipolar disorder diagnosis, but bipolar disorder does not a cannibal make. But in theory, if Milton Grimes could present a good enough case to the court that Antron was mentally unwell in his day-to-day -day life, he had bipolar disorder, he had psychotic episodes, even though they were drug-induced, but he, you know. If he was able to say that Antron was mentally unwell in his sober day-to-day -day life, then yeah, maybe they had a case here and maybe they would be able to get the insanity plea. But that's just the thing. Antron didn't really have that many like mental problems. Yes, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which is genuine, but it didn't seem to majorly affect his day-to-day -day life. Regardless, Milton Grimes and Antron Singleton took this argument to court and they tried to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. And that excuse was thrown out straight away. Big Lurch was deemed fit to stand trial and he was to take whatever punishment was handed to him because he was criminally responsible. And that punishment could have been the death penalty. I mean, with a case as serious as this. So the trial began and the majority of it surrounded his PCP use that night and how that could have influenced his actions and, and what degree of blame should be on PCP and what should be on his mental health and what should just be on Antron Singleton for being a 
cannibal murderer. His defense said that Antron was in a psychotic state after being on a five day binge of the drug. They said that it made him go back to his primal state and commit acts of a beast. Which like, yeah, we can see that, but how is that a, a defense? Like, oh, don't worry, I was just on a five day drug binge. It just made me act like an animal. Antron himself was not very happy with how his trial went, more specifically how his defense handled his case, how Milton Grimes was fighting his corner, or well, how Antron felt Milton wasn't fighting his corner at all. Obviously because Milton owned stress-free records and Antron accused stress-free records of plying him with drugs and, and feeding his addiction. He says that obviously because that would have made Milton Grimes and the whole of stress-free records look bad, they didn't mention that in court. And Antron felt very cheated by that because he felt like a lot of his addiction was because of that man sat next to him, his lawyer, but obviously he's not gonna admit that. He felt like his PCP addiction wasn't his own fault. It was his label's fault and therefore his actions on PCP were not his fault, they were his label's fault. And he felt like they weren't taking accountability for their part in, in his murder. In fact, Antron and his whole family actually had quite a lot to say about the trial, mainly that they felt that Antron was being set up or framed or that certain pieces of evidence were being overlooked or ignored. For example, they claim that the teeth marks on Tynesha's body don't actually match Antron's teeth. They say that there was also a handprint found in some blood in the apartment that doesn't, it's not the same size as Antron's hand. And none of this was brought up in court. Antron says that his lawyer really, really let him down. Milton Grimes, obviously very successful lawyer and has had many a case, but it has recently come out that he Ain't that good of a lawyer. I've just pulled up an article and I'm gonna read directly from it. It says that about a year and a half after the Big Lurch case, so obviously no one knew about this at the time, but this is why I'm here to tell you things in retrospect. A year and a half after the Big Lurch case, a California court ordered Milton Grimes to pay $1.2 million to the mother of a man that was fatally shot by Gardenia police after a jury found that Grimes failed to properly litigate her civil wrongful death case against the police department. Failed to properly litigate her case. Now, this is exactly what Antron was saying at the time about his case, that his lawyer was not on his side. He wasn't doing things in Antron's best interests. Antron has his own theory that Milton Grimes was connected or in cahoots with the judge or with someone in, in the courts, in the judicial system. And he believes that Milton Grimes agreed to lose this case in order to gain favor on another case that he had. I don't know the details of that. I don't know if Antron knows the details of that, but that's what he believed happened. He believed that his lawyer was intentionally throwing his case away and not building a good enough case for him so that they would lose it and he would gain something in another way, you know? So he thinks that's why all of this important evidence like uh, teeth marks not matching and handprint in blood, he believes that's why it all wasn't brought up in court, which I'm not gonna lie, some of that does sound suspicious. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. 
Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Supposedly, the teeth marks in her cheek were not Antron's. So whose were they? Well, Antron says they were from a pit bull. He says that a pit bull got in the apartment and must have mauled her to death and created this big wound in the front of her stomach and was pulling out her lungs and her intestine and the dog was chewing on them, which you can poke quite a few holes in that, can you not? First of all, her flesh was literally found in your stomach. Like, blah, like, you... Where's the pit bull? Where is the pit bull? And also, how did the pit bull use the knife on her? Was the pit bull stabbing her and then got the knife stuck in her bone and then just left it there? Was that the pit bull too? Is the pit bull in the room with us right now? Anyway, we'll, we'll go back to the PCP stuff for now. We will come back to the mystery pit bull later. The prosecution brought in a drugs recognition expert from the LAPD who said that he didn't buy the fact that Antron was so fucked up on PCP that his actions weren't his own that day. He said that Antron must have been predisposed to act like this to a degree, that PCP doesn't just turn people into cannibal murderers. He must have had that laying dormant in him. The amount of drugs that he took that day wasn't enough to completely change his actions and and make him you know just like completely possessed by this drug like he was still in there somewhere and in fact there's actually some evidence to kind of support this so on the day that antron was found walking naked and covered in blood and he was taken to the hospital one of the medical checks that they did on him was a blood test to see what drugs were in his system and how much of those drugs he'd taken so this test revealed that he had 10 nanograms of pcp in his blood at the time but police mentioned that when they usually arrest and apprehend PCP users, like in the street when they're being unruly, those people's tests tend to come out upwards of 40 to 50 milligrams. Antron had 10. So Antron was acting this way, murdering and cannibalizing his roommate on a dose four times smaller than what most users take. So yeah, it certainly does sound like an Antron problem and not a PCP problem. Like if 10 nanograms of PCP was gonna make everyone act like that, then all those other people that have ever been caught on PCP would also be cannibal murderers, but they're not. Something really interesting that we found was that obviously he had 10 nanograms in his system, a reading of five nanograms is actually classed as a negative reading because it's that small of an amount that it's it's kind of not really affecting your body all that much anymore. Oh, but no, he was, he was so high on PCP that night. Like they'd fed him so much PCP throughout his life that it just took over him, you know? 10 nanograms uh, in your blood? You know what, to be fair though, I guess by the time that he had his bloods taken and tested in hospital, the level of PCP in his blood will have gone down. So let's, for the sake of argument, say that he was around the 40, 50, maybe even 60 nanogram level in the apartment. It couldn't really have been any higher than that. For it to have been able to get all the way down to 10 by the time he was in hospital, it must have been around 40, 50. But as police said, most people that they arrest that have taken PCP sit around that level and 
murder and cannibalism is not involved in all of those cases. So why is it involved when Antron takes that same amount of PCP? This blood test actually threw quite a spanner in the works for his defense because they were saying that he'd been on this five day drug binge and like he had an inhuman level amount of PCP in his body and he'd been plied with it and da da da. This blood test proves that that's not the case. Some people even doubt his whole amnesia of the whole thing. You know, if he, he blacked out for two whole weeks, he doesn't remember anything from getting to the apartment to waking up in prison. That did make some level of sense when we thought he'd been on a five day binge. But now that we know the actual amount of drugs in his system, that's not enough to like wipe your memory for two whole weeks anyway. And it's also really interesting because the police that found him on the street said that even though he was in this daze and, and he was like barking like a dog and shit like that, he was also walking fine. Like his, his body, like his motor functions and yeah, the way that he was walking and holding himself seemed pretty fine. Like his behavior and the way that his body was reacting to PCP doesn't seem consistent on all sides. Like he was so fucked up that he was covered in blood and walking the streets and backing like a dog, but his limbs worked absolutely fine. He was in good control of himself. He wasn't stumbling, he was walking straight. And I mean, it does check out considering he did only have 10 nanograms in his system. Of course you can walk fine on 10 nanograms. I say that like I know. PCP use. I don't, but I've done a lot of research. So it makes sense why he seemed to be walking fine because he really wasn't on that much drugs. And this has led a lot of people to theorize that maybe Antron was faking crazy when the police found him in the street that day. Maybe he had already got it in his head that he wanted to try and use the insanity plea. Maybe that wasn't Milton Grimes' suggestion. Maybe it was Antron's. People think that him barking like a dog and looking up dazed at the sky was all just a bit of an act. And so was the memory loss. And so was absolutely everything else. And people think that there is actually a bit of evidence for this theory. So for example, he was found walking the streets naked, which is insane. Let's just acknowledge that now. It is insane for any person, no matter what kind of like drug they're on, for you to completely undress and then walk about in the streets in broad daylight, that is insane. And you would think there would be some sort of like insane lead up to that. Like, you know, throwing their clothes off or ripping them off or whatever. But it turned out, Antron Singleton had taken off all of his clothes in the bathroom and neatly folded them and left them on the side and then walked out into the street like a crazy person. And people just think that those two things don't really match up. It's almost as if he was like normal in the house, took his clothes off, folded them up, and then he was like, right, okay, time to go outside and act crazy, is what is what people think. It's an odd one. I don't know what I think about that. Um, but anyway, back to the trial. Another thing that the prosecution did was try to use Big Lurch's lyrics against him. And again, this is a weird thing that kind of comes back to Milton Grimes. The songs that they used against Big Lurch in his trial were unreleased. So where had the courts found these songs? Could it have been through stress-free records? I don't know. Basically, some people think that allegedly uh, Milton Grimes had handed over 
Big Lurch's unreleased tracks so that they could use them as evidence against him. But you you didn't hear that from me. But yeah, they were trying to say in court that Big Lurch, uh, as he was writing these songs, he was fantasizing about all the depraved, evil, murderous things that he wanted to do. And like I mentioned earlier, I don't really like it when people's lyrics or their art is used against them in court to say that they are a specific type of person or they think a certain way or, you know, anything like that. I don't like that. But that being said, let's look at like the actual real physical evidence of her flesh being found in his stomach. Literally, it doesn't matter what tiny little things Big Lurch and his defense try to say about this case. My brain just keeps going back to, her flesh was in your stomach, bro. It was digesting in there. How the fuck would that have happened if you didn't kill her and eat her? There was only one person in that apartment with her that day and they killed her and ate her. And then later on in the day, you're found with her flesh in your stomach. Like it was obviously you. At the end of the trial, the jury went to deliberate for less than an hour, which again, Antron didn't like. He said that they thought about it over lunch break. But not gonna lie though, if I was on that jury, I wouldn't need a lot of time to deliberate because her flesh was found in your stomach. Anyway, the jury came back and they concluded that Antron Singleton was guilty on all three counts that were given to him. First degree murder, torture, and aggravated mayhem. Now I had to Google exactly what they meant by that because I have never heard aggravated mayhem before. Aggravated mayhem requires that the person intends to permanently disfigure or disable another person or to deprive them of a limb, organ, or body part. And I mean, checks out, he did pull her lung out of her body. For all three of these charges, Antron Singleton was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And on top of that, another life sentence, just for good measure. And you would think that this would be good news for Tynesha's family. Her killer has been brought to justice. He's gonna be put behind bars for the rest of his life. But they weren't happy with this verdict. Tynesha's family, believe Antron when he says he didn't do this. They believe that the pit bull did it. When asked to explain how Tynesha's flesh could have ended up in his stomach, they believe that this pit bull came in, mauled her, absolutely ruined her body. And then Antron walks in, high as hell on PCP, spots a mystery piece of meat on the side gets a little peckish, wants a snack, picks it up, chews it, swallows it. It was Tynesha's body, but he didn't realize that because he was on PCP. I don't wanna be disrespectful because obviously this is the victim's family that believes this, but I'm not gonna lie, you don't have me on it. Even if you were high off your tits on PCP, how could you walk into this room where there is a, a, a dead body, completely mutilated, blood everywhere, organs strewn across the floor. How can you walk in there and go, ooh, meat? I don't know, like, like even on the most drugs the human body could eat, ever take, how can you not notice that there's a dead body right there next to your mystery meat? And he ate like a bit too. It, it wasn't like it was just like one little morsel. Like they found, an, not lots, but like a bit in his stomach and it was on his beard. Like, I don't know, that was a lot of, that was a lot of chewing. And it's raw meat as well. Like, I don't know, like even if you did think it was what, like a chicken nugget, like you would pick it up and you would eat it and it would taste like blood. Again, I really don't mean to be disrespectful, 
but this is one of the craziest stories, excuses I've ever heard a murderer give as to how this person could have died. Just a, a pit bull broke in and then I had a snack. Tynesha's mom believes that Antron is not guilty and that if anyone is guilty of anything in this situation, it would be Tynesha's boyfriend, Thomas Moore. Remember the guy that was running the dope house? Because Tynesha's mom says that he was abusive towards her daughter, had been throughout their whole relationship, and Tynesha was planning on leaving him. In fact, she had her bags packed to leave him. Obviously, she hadn't left him just yet because they were all in the apartment smoking PCP all night, but her mother believes that that night something must have been brought up, they must have had this conversation or even the breakup, and then either her boyfriend killed her or her boyfriend set the pit bull on her or something. She just believes that Tynesha's boyfriend is involved and Antron must have been set up or framed by Thomas so that he would get away with it. Because like Antron said, he didn't have any reason to want to kill Tynesha. He didn't really feel any way about her. But her mother thinks, well, her boyfriend obviously did feel a certain way about her. He was horrible to her. So if anyone was gonna kill her, it was probably him. And then he framed his roommate. I have a quote here from Tynesha's mother. She said that there's no way he could have done it because the way she was messed up, hatred had to be there. And like I said, he didn't hate her. And she believes that that is the reason why Thomas did it. She believes that the ruling in this trial was unfair and just completely incorrect. She's also forgiven Antron, although she doesn't really believe him to be guilty of much. She says that she has forgiven him. And she believes all of this, so much so that she has filed a wrongful death lawsuit against a, like a lot of people. There's a lot of people involved in this against a bunch of different record labels, not just stress-free records, but I think like two others that Antron must have had some dealings with. The lawsuit was also against uh, Milton Grimes, I believe, uh, Thomas Moore, I think Antron? I don't know. There was just like a bunch of people that were involved in this lawsuit. Although it hasn't really gone anywhere. I, I don't know if it's been called off or I don't know if it's just kind of been ignored a little bit. But realistically, police are quite unwilling to reopen this case because as far as they're concerned, her flesh was in his stomach. That's as good of evidence as any case is ever gonna get. If you know that a woman has been cannibalized, there are teeth marks all over her body, and then you find the person that has her flesh in their stomach, you've got your answer. I do just wanna remind you all now though, just in case any of you were convinced by the Pitbull story, I just wanna remind you that Antron turned to Derek and said, I'm gonna go get me some pussy, and then walked into that bathroom, and then she was heard screaming and asking him to stop. And then she was found murdered. I personally think that the decisions that were made in court and the conclusions that police came to are correct. If not, you know, mostly correct. I think, I think Antron did it, absolutely. Antron himself has tried to appeal his sentence on the grounds that his lawyer, Milton Grimes, was shit. And, and didn't mention the pit bull and the mismatching teeth marks and stuff like that. But ultimately, as this appeal was looked into, it was shut down, it was dismissed, and Antron Singleton is still in prison to this day and likely will die behind bars. In the aftermath of his incarceration, Stress Free Records actually released a Big Lurch album 
his debut album that he had no say in really after this point I mean they basically took any of his vault tracks that they had and they just slammed them all together and made an album out of it all including all the songs that had been used against him in court and it's really clear that his label hoped that the notoriety of this case and of Big Lurch being a, a cannibal murderer they were really hoping that that was going to sell this album the album was named It's All Bad which was not the album title that Lurch had in mind. I can't remember what the original album title was gonna be, but he had an idea for it. When it was coming up, he had an album title ready to go. And they were like, nah, not, not murdery enough. So they called the album, It's All Bad. And for album artwork, cause obviously their rapper is in prison. They can't, they can't do a photo shoot. They can't take any new photos of him. So they took an old photo of him and photoshopped it so that he is holding a skull on a silver platter. It's just so obvious with the marketing of this album that they're being like, hey, hey, wanna hear that? Cannibal's music. Remember that Cannibal? This is his music. Come listen. I did actually try and look for this album online. Uh, <laughs> I say that. I checked on Spotify and it's not on Spotify. And I can't lie, I'm, I wasn't that eager to go and listen to a Cannibal's music. So I didn't look any further than that, but I'm sure if you did want to listen to it, I'm sure you would be able to find it online. And obviously he is gonna be in prison for the rest of his life. So I wouldn't worry about any of the money from streaming going to him. So right now in 2023, Antron Singleton is still in prison, obviously sober, and he is undergoing compulsory psychiatric help. That's both for his bipolar disorder and for the prevention of any further psychotic episodes if they were to come about but I think they were PCP induced. Apparently he's still making music in prison and I don't know to what degree, I don't know how, like, can they make proper tunes in prison or is it easy just writing lyrics? It probably is just lyrics, isn't it? But apparently the content of his lyrics has done a full 180 uh, because he now, instead of rapping about like horror car things and serial killer things and murderers and all that, he is rapping about the dangers of drugs. He is anti-drug campaigning in his lyrics and warning people of the dangers of the side effects of different things and he's giving positive empowerment to people that were in a situation similar to what he was in at the time. Which I think is, is, is good. If you're gonna write any lyrics, then let them be let them be positive, I guess. But that is all I have on this case. An absolutely insane one from start to finish. And there were so many, just so many bits that made parts of my brain die off <laughs> throughout researching this. I will be thinking about that Pitbull story for the rest of my life, probably. Thank you so much for listening to Usual Disclaimer. At this point, I just wanna say that if you've been affected by any of the topics we discussed today, please check the description where we've left some helpful resources. If you want to hear more cases like this one, make sure to follow Usual Disclaimer on your podcast app so that you get notifications when we post new episodes. And if you really enjoyed, I'd love it if you could leave a rating and a review too. Usual Disclaimer with Ellen O'Neill is an Audio Boom Studios production. See you next time.